Off the Earth. The reason why we're playing that is uh, Mike, the beard man Taylor, has died. Uh, I found that very sad. I don't know why. I don't know why that one affected me. Um, usually famous people I don't know, it doesn't really bother me. I know that sounds sociopathic, but it's true. Um, except him, I, I think it was his quirkiness. Um, if you ever watch that video for somebody that I used to know, he always does this like quirky appearance. And in that song, he's doing the bring that like high pitched bring every now and then that you hear. Um, and that's just the top strings of the guitar where, where you tighten them. So they're not even part of the instrument, but he uses it as part of the instrument. So anyways, sad. Um, he was like my age, uh, very, he looked like me <laughs> beard. Um, yeah, kind of sad news. Um, so RIP Mike beard guy, Taylor, um, the multi-instrumentalist, of Walk Off the Earth. Tonight, we have a special guest, Tom Naughton. If you don't know his name, you definitely know his work. He had a movie out a few years ago. I feel like it wasn't that long ago, but I'm guessing it was about 10 years ago. It was called Fathead. And um, it's a documentary, and it was directed by Tom and created and starred and all that by uh, Tom. And the film seeks to refute both the documentary Super Size Me and the Lipid Hypothesis. Now, if you don't know what the Lipid Hypothesis is, it's that fat kills us, so eliminate it from your diet. And we did that over the last 50 years. And what has happened? People have gotten sicker and sicker. So with that said, people have approached that hypothesis with some skepticism saying, what if I, instead of cutting out fat, I cut out processed garbage and see what happens. And the people that do that tend to lose weight. They eat the eggs, they eat the bacon, they eat the steak. They don't eat the bread, the rolls, the sweets, the candy, the soda pop, all that stuff. They, they eliminate and you tend to do better. So 
And, and of course, as with everything, there's controversy on both sides. But it just makes sense. It makes sense that cut out processed food. Cut out this garbage that's made in a factory somewhere. Out of it, We call it food-like stuff. It's, it, it, technically, you can eat it, and your body will digest it. But it's, what's it going to, I mean, it's just going to make you sick. So not controversial as far as that goes. And uh, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get into it during the episode because this is what I do for a living. And I don't want to just sit here and wax philosophical without someone else on the line. So uh, I've been uh, on a, uh, what, what do you call it? A sabbatical? I've been on a break from the podcast for the last few weeks, Christmas relatives. Um, I just kind of needed a break and I should have said something on my last podcast, but um, I, I record things weeks in advance and I didn't know that I was going to be taking two or three weeks off. So I apologize. We are back on a normal schedule. One episode every two weeks, maybe a bonus uh, short me episode uh, every other week. So um, we'll see this year. I'm just going to run the same as last year interviews and some uh, uh I don't know, cool discussion about the whole world of what if. So without further ado, Tom Naughton. You're listening to the Wait What If podcast. theme on the show that comes up every now and then is how awesome technology has allowed pretty much everybody to become creative or do something creative. And, oh yeah, totally. And your film, and I was wondering that, you you did that all yourself? And well, I guess we'll talk about Fathead and then um, Fathead Kids, but both films that you made. So uh, did it all myself. Are we talking Fathead or Fathead Kids? Let's start with Fathead. So Fathead, no. Okay. I did the shooting and editing, and I, I did edit it, mm-hmm. um, but then I, I sent it through post-production because I, you know, it seemed all mysterious, and I, I didn't think I would know how to do that. Mm-hmm. In the interim, uh, two things. One, I did go through post, and I paid a lot of money for it, and I watched what these guys did, and I thought, well, it takes some some knowledge, but this is not, you know, this is not rocket science. I could learn to do this. Mm-hmm. So by the time Fathead Kids came around, I decided I'm not going to spend, you know, 50 grand in post-production costs for stuff I'm pretty sure I could learn to do myself. Right. And then I was delighted to learn that the Adobe suite has just kept – every year the thing gets better. Oh, yeah. Every six months it does almost. Yeah. (laughs) and and, And, you know, they had gone through all this stuff to make Fathead what they would call broadcast legal as Mm -hmm. far as the colors. Well, in the latest edition of Adobe Premiere, the way you make it broadcast legal is to drop a filter on your timeline called broadcast legal. Okay. And any colors that are outside the broadcast legal legal range, it just kind of slightly squishes them down until they're under the limit. I mean, that's that's how fantastic things have gotten. Yeah. Yeah, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that would be unheard of. I mean, to to say I'm going to make a movie, I mean, I suppose I suppose it's possible, but not in the way it is today. No. And the animation we did in Fathead Kids, I mean, 30 years ago, you'd have to uh, hope somebody was willing to fund your your movie so they could go to Disney. I listened to your uh, podcast with Ken Berry uh, this afternoon. Okay, yeah. Uh, Did you meet him for your show or have him on at all? I have. I don't uh, do shows yet, but uh, we were both uh, 
guests on the last low carb cruise. Okay. And uh, so I, I did get to, to know him a bit there. We're, we're both in Tennessee and we keep talking about we need to get together one yeah. of these days. But yeah, we, we spent tied up quite a bit of time talking on the low carb cruise. Great guy. Great the, guy. The amazing thing about him uh, is I'm a, in the real world and you probably got that from the, the podcast is I'm a PA and I run my own clinic. Yes. And uh, half of it, and I don't remember if at the time when I interviewed him, uh, if I had turned half my clinic into basically a weight loss clinic, but not your typical come in and get some speed or right. some injection that's going to stunt your appetite, you lose weight and gain it back six months later. I, I've been in the books for the last four years getting, like, and I think he says this, getting my, or uh, in his case, his de facto or um, unofficial nutrition uh, degree because... Well, I mean, it's it's the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I was treating patients forever saying, cut your carbs, or I'm sorry, cut your calories, exercise more, and lose weight. Right. And and the crazy thing about it is I knew it was going to fail, and I'd see it fail over and over and over again, but we still did it. And then through voices like Ken Berry, um, really Rob Wolf, Rob Wolf was a big one where I said, and, and I honestly, I don't remember the exact day where it was, aha, but... I, I do remember the feeling of saying, wait a minute, wait, it's so simple, right? It's so simple, yet we make it this complicated disease process that needs um, all these different medications and approaches to it when it's really just eat what we're meant to eat, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had the aha moment when I was doing the research for Fathead mm -hmm. and uh, and when I read Good Calories, Bad Calories. Oh, another uh, great one. Absolutely. You know, that, that, that was very enlightening. Tough to get through, but very yeah. enlightening. Uh, that's what a lot of my patients, I bought about six copies for my patients. And a lot of them are like, are you kidding me? And I, then I realized they're probably not as nerdy <laughs> as, as myself. That's a hard one to get through. It is, but I, I, I read it. I read it cover to cover twice, mm. and I've gone back and read uh, many of the sections several times, and Gary and I corresponded when I was making Fathead because I said, I'm, I'm going to use a lot of what you talk about in good calories, bad calories. I have to keep, keep this at a simple level. As soon as I say the word esterification, my audience goes to sleep. Right. Uh, so I need to explain this at a simple level, but I don't want to simplify it to the point where it's wrong. So he said, no problem, send me the script and I'll go over it and I'll, I'll make suggestions, which he did. And uh, he would have been in it except his, uh, I would have happily flown out and interviewed him, but his, uh, his publisher said no for reasons that I actually thought made sense when he passed them on to me. Okay. He said, right now, your mission is to convince doctors clinicians, et cetera, that what they're recommending is wrong. You need to be out there as, you know, kind of a authority, a medical authority. And if you appear in a film that is billed as a comedy, your authority is going to slide. Right. And, and when he said that, I said, you know what, you're right. And I don't want your authority to uh, in any way be harmed. So I will quote the heck out of you, but we, we won't have you uh, appear on camera. Sure. Now let's, as a person myself, who's passionate about getting people healthier, and I sometimes feel like I'm using a, I don't know, like a toothpick to try to carve a sculpt or sculpt a statue out of granite. I mean, it seems like an utterly impossible job. It's so terribly difficult. You came in as, as a, a comedian and a, a engineer, or I'm sorry, a software developer. 
where did this come from for you? Where did you go from being that to I'm going to make a movie that uh, is basically challenging the current paradigm on on weight loss and health? Well, I didn't set out to challenge that paradigm. I set out to kind of make a funny response to supersize me, which was entertaining, but it was, you know, it was full of nonsense. I mean, the alarm bells kept going off in my head, things that just didn't make sense when I was watching it. Because yes, I'm a comedian and I'd spent most of my 30s as a comedian, but I'm also a software engineer. I'm a logical guy and I'm good at math. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what he said in Supersize Me did not make logical sense. And some of it really didn't make mathematical sense. And just the way he he wanted to turn, we're fat because of McDonald's. I mean, it's a that's an appealing explanation to people who, you know, hate all corporations except maybe Apple and Google. But it, it has nothing to do with reality. So I thought I'm, I'm going to make a funny response to this film. But as part of that, I decided I was going to go on a fast food diet of my own and, and demonstrate that you can lose weight. But mm -hmm. I started doing a lot of research. I better look into what I'm eating and what it's going to do to me. And the more research I did, this being the Internet age, the more I kept coming across all these sites saying no saturated fat is not what causes heart disease. We don't get fat just because we eat too much. It has to do with hormones, et cetera, et cetera. And I just got sucked in and did more and more research. I mean, I would stay up all hours researching, researching, researching. And these were not wackadoodle websites I was going to. I mean, I would follow links and I would end up at a site that, you know, was quoting very good studies. And I just kind of kept getting angry and angrier as, as someone who had personally struggled with weight for a long time, thinking, oh, my God, you know, no wonder we've we've made this so hard. It's all based on a pack of lies. Mm -hmm. And so as I was making keep in mind, I was already shooting fathead at this point. Uh, I decided this thing needs to take a sharp right turn about halfway through the film and go from being. Okay, here's what's wrong with supersize me too. Here's what's wrong with almost everything you've been told about healthy eating. Mm -hmm. So really the film changed a lot as I was as I was shooting and and putting it together. And and why the film? How did you get into that medium? Well, I we were living in Los Angeles at the time. Oh, there uh, you go. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Uh throw a rock hit a filmmaker. Yeah. And <laughs> I had been going to auditions, et cetera, et cetera, work in the comedy clubs occasionally. But like a lot of people, I eventually decided instead of waiting for the magic audition to come along, why don't I just shoot the kind of show that I want to do? Because my goal had always been to produce a show where it's a it was going to be called In Defense of Common Sense, Common Sense, but Funny Guy looks at issues of the day. And I decided I would shoot the uh, pilot episode or at least demo episode on the issue of how we treat fat people in America, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that led to me watching Supersize Me. Then I decided, no, forget about this pilot. I want to do my own film. And I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I had a camera and I'd done some shooting and editing, but I had no idea how to make a film. That's the best way to do it. You're not you're not tainted. <laughs> well, there is that. I made a lot of mistakes sure. and, uh, you know, had to reshoot some stuff. But fortunately for me, my wife's sister was a documentary producer back in the day. Uh, she still was a documentary producer when we were living out there. So she was able to give me, you know, kind of walk me through the process so I didn't screw things up too badly. Yeah. Yeah. We shot a few gags for the, the show, like some skits and stuff. And you know, for a five minute skit, it was like two hours of, of, uh, 
film and that doesn't count you know the setting up the you know the mini set or doing it's yep. it's an unbelievable amount of work so now take that and imagine you are going to do five minutes or let's make it a minute of an animated cartoon oh yeah you would not believe how heavy the workload is I just how many steps are involved my brain doesn't even comprehend that i don't understand i've watched cartoons since i was a kid i still can't figure out how they do it I, I can't. Well, I don't. I don't. Know. I, I, I had to learn. Yeah. To, uh, to make fathead kids, and uh, fortunately, you know, it's it's the information age. I just went to Lynda.com. I was already a member, and watched courses on animating. Uh, first, just kind of general principles, and then specifically animating with Adobe After Effects, and kind of practiced a little bit, and I could get things to move, and you know, kept working at it and working at it, and then. Uh, you know, there's no experience uh, or there's no teacher like experience. So when I sat down to start animating scenes in Fathead Kids, it was very, very difficult at first. And then it just kind of kept getting easier. Yeah, I guess like anything else. Yep. Um, so Fathead came out. How was it? Uh, did it go to the theaters? How did you how did you release that? So there's kind of a story there. Um, <laughs> we first put it into the hands of two distributors, one of whom was incompetent and went bankrupt, owing us two years worth of royalties. Okay. And so we never got paid. Mm -hmm. And and the other was not incompetent. They were just thieves. Oh, all right. <laughs> so that was the distributor who put it on television networks all around the world and then claimed they lost money. Uh, and never paid me. That's got to um, be so frustrating. I can't you know, imagine it. I have some... Uh, I have some memories of uh, screaming at the top of my lungs. I wish I'd never made this effing film Yeah, because I had put a lot of my own money. Well, I paid for the whole thing myself. I'd put a lot of money into it, some of which I had borrowed because, uh, you know, they were telling me all kinds of happy numbers about what they thought it was going to make. And then they claimed it lost money. And, uh, you know, it was Hollywood accounting, except they happened to be in Canada. And I'm thinking, how did you lose money on a film that I paid for? Um, fortunately, the happy ending to that is that uh, two years after the original release, we got it into the hands of a distributor called Gravitas, mm -hmm. and they are a good distributor. Great they're distributor. Run by, they have a yes, lot of good good films out. They do, mm -hmm. and uh, they're good people. There's no nonsense about you know the expenses. If they charge something against the film, they tell you why and exactly how much it's going to cost, and they send a check every quarter. So after two years of frustration, because I was hearing from people all over the world, oh, thank you so much for making this film. Now it makes sense to me. I followed your advice. I lost weight. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you, but how comes no one has paid me for this film yet? Uh, so for that two-year period when I seemed to be ha having this growing fan base uh, and no checks were coming in the mail. It was very frustrating. But then uh, when we got it to Gravitas, that all turned around. So happy ending. Yeah. And of course, they're distributing Fathead Kids. Well, if you ever decide to get into podcasting, that whole not getting a check and doing a lot of work, will uh, it, it'll pay off. You won't you won't be as upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways you can you can monetize a podcast, but the the harder you work at them, it seems like the less it works. It's this bizarre world where you just kind of have to play it by ear interesting yeah it is it's a i could write a book on it oh, maybe i will who knows so you you made this movie you put it out there now i'm gonna ask a question because 
I think the reason why it resonated with me when I saw it is everyone is an authority, right? You, you go on YouTube and every single person, I think it's funny, they always introduce themselves, hi, it's so-and-so, or hi, it's so-and-so, and they're talking about, I don't know, nutrition or something like that. And it's like, what do you mean, it, it, who are you? You know, not like my right. name is, they're all an authority. And you kind of approached it like, I'm not the authority. I'm, I'm approaching this the way you would approach this. And, and I think that's why it resonated so well. I hadn't thought of it about uh, specifically from that angle, but that, that, that's a good point. I, I didn't hold myself up as the authority. I, I held myself up as the person looking for answers just like you are. Sure. It's very relatable that way. Did you receive, and this is, be, and, and I guess when it went out, 2009. So this might have been just I guess the dawning of the uh, internet, uh, as the kids say, flaming age, meaning if you go against the canon of, say, the vegans <laughs> or mm-hmm. or the um, uh, carnivores, the carnivore diet, I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, or yes, the paleo people or the high fat, low carb or the keto people, you get a lot of hate mail, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Did you find that you were, did anyone come at you saying, oh, yeah, yeah. And what, was, oh, yeah, of what was the biggest criticism? Well, honestly, most of the most of the critic once in a while, I will get a criticism that actually seems well thought out. And in that case, I would consider that constructive criticism mm-hmm. and that I will pay attention to. And by the way, you know, I look back at Fathead myself and offer myself constructive criticism because it was my first film. Sure. You know, there's a lot that uh, if I had to do over, I I would have done a little differently. Mm -hmm. But as far as the actual hate mails, honestly, I don't care. I mean, I certainly get them from from vegans because anybody who recommends meat is going to hear from (laughs) the uh, the Hezbollah wing of of the vegan movement. And and by the way, I had a good friend in Los Angeles who was a vegan and she never preached to anybody. And I know there are a lot of vegans like that. It's their choice. They're not interested in preaching. And, you know, those are the people I like. But then you get the ones who kind of have that true believer mentality. Anyone who doesn't do it my way is the enemy. Anyone who eats animals is an, is a murderer, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, I hear from those people. Yeah. Basically, if, if I open my inbox and I start to read an email and it's one of those, I just hit the delete button. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no point. You know, I'm not going to what, – what would be the point in replying? I'm not going to change their mind. You're not going to change – change, you know, a member of Hezbollah's mind. Uh, so there's no point in engaging. I, I'm not interested in what they have to say. In uh, Replying would be a waste of time. It would turn into a back and forth and back and forth. It would be like a Twitter argument that goes on forever. Oh, God. And yeah. I'm a busy guy. I have better things to do. So when I get one of those hate mails, I just delete it. I don't care because yeah. I have gotten hundreds of emails since Fathead came out from people thanking me for making it, sure. telling me it turned their life around. Uh, you know, I'll take one of those and stack it up against a, a thousand hate mails, and uh, a thousand hate mails can just go away. They don't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read the um, tweets and emails that I get that if I say something outside the norm, <laughs> right? Uh, and my wife, she's like, I that would make me cry. And I'm like, no, it's actually, it's funny. I think some of the stuff they say, it's like, come on, come on. Who, nameless person who's going to, oh, my mic just cut out. There, it's back. Uh, nameless person who's going to say something horrendous to me. I, I don't care. I don't. Uh, it, it's actually, it's fun reading when, you, um, when you're when you in your office uh, and have a few extra minutes. 
Well, and here's the other thing. When I was in college, I had a, a humor column in our weekend magazine. Mm-hmm. And I found out way back then, if when you put anything out before the public, and strangely, especially if it's humorous, because if people don't like what you're saying and you're being funny, they seem to find it a bigger insult because yeah. you're making fun of something that's important to them. Sure. Uh, I found that that almost any column I wrote, almost any humor column, even if to me, you know, it would never have seemed offensive to any particular group or person, I would always get at least one hate mail. And that was back in the days when someone had to write a letter, stick it in an envelope, put the campus newspaper's address on it and mail it. You know, there was actually some effort involved, right. way more than sending an email. Back then, I would get hate mail. Yeah. When I was a stand-up comedian, I would do a show where there'd be 200 people in the room. Just get heckled. <laughs> yeah. And, well, I didn't get heckled much, but yeah. 199 of them are laughing themselves silly. And that one guy, it was usually a guy, one guy would come up after the show and tell you why he didn't think you were funny. And I would sit there and nod politely, and I'm basically thinking, I don't care. The other 199 people did. There's always going to be that person who doesn't like it. Plus, so plus just getting on be- stage. I mean, yeah, take yeah, that guy yeah. and put him on stage. It's a brutal. Well, right. you know, <laughs> well, and I always thought I always kind of related it to people who sit in the stands and yell at some professional athlete, "You suck." Yeah. You know, a guy who beat out a thousand other people who wanted his job because did, he was that good. Did. Uh, <laughs> Did you see that viral video of the guy who um, was going off on Parky for missing the field goal in the Bears game? I did not. It was ridiculous. I mean, uh, just, you know, your typical Chicago fan <laughs> losing his mind over a missed field goal. But the the guy, Robert O'Neill, the uh, Navy SEAL who killed Osama bin Laden, uh, he put $10,000 on the line and said, if this guy who just tore apart Parky, Parky's the name of the kicker and the, the Bears. If he can go out on the field at the 30-yard line, have five shots and get one through the uprights, he'll give him $10,000. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And I am a Bears fan. I spent most of my adult life in Chicago. Okay. Um, my condolences. From what I understand, some, <laughs> a, a guy on the Eagles got through and yeah, he tipped a, it. He tipped get, it. Get a tip on yeah, that. So yeah. it's not really – I mean, I hated to see the Bears lose, but it kind of seems to me like it wasn't – exactly his fault and even if it was his fault and i know this is not what we uh we were getting together to talk about even if it was his fault you take any close game you can name a dozen plays oh sure that would have changed the outcome somebody dropped a pass quarterback yeah, absolutely threw, you know people always remember the last field goal that didn't go through yeah. it's like sorry there was a lot more to it than that yeah i had i had money on that game i was very excited <laughs> i thought they were gonna come back and win <laughs> oh well oh, what are you gonna do so yeah the other thing I think is interesting that you probably never foresaw, but just mentioning that you were on a cruise with Ken Berry, the low carb cruise, did you think you would become, um, I'm sure you wouldn't call yourself an expert, but a, a voice in this, uh, health movement, this modern health movement where people are kind of returning to their roots, going back to butter and, you know, whole milk and whole foods. No, I never saw that coming. I thought I was going to put this amusing film out there that it was, you know, going to make some money, maybe enough to make another film and that and that then I would move on to some totally different subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it kind of took off and got legs of its own. It was almost like I jumped into a stream and it just kind of carried me along with it. And first thing I knew, people were asking me to 
you know, give a speech here and show up on a cruise and talk about that. And then a lot of people were showing up on my blog and asking questions. And uh, I did like you. I got my unofficial degree in nutrition just because I felt like I need to stay on top of this. Sure. Yeah. And uh, no, this has uh, gone in a direction that I, I never anticipated. I'm glad it did. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I absolutely did did not see this coming. And do you read, um, you know, as a as a myself being a trained scientist, I try to find the holes in my because I don't want to be a dogmatic uh, ketogenic, paleo, whatever you want to call it, whole foods. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be that guy. So I try to look into, okay, what are the vegans doing? What are the, um, I don't know, just, uh, I'm trying to think of other big things out there, but, uh, intermittent fasting, all that stuff. I say, what, what are these people doing? But, but when I look at the data and when I look at the science and then as a practitioner, when I see the results, it, it all goes back to whole foods. It all goes back to get rid of your processed carbs, getting rid of your sugar, um, processed foods. And then my big thing, which I, I have a lot of people that are so metabolically damaged that we do that. And we sometimes we don't see the scale move at all for a while. Right. So then I put them into uh, fasting regimens, you know, start with uh, 12 hours on, 12 hours off, go up to 18 hours uh, off you know, what's the math, six hours on, and then get them into a 36 hour fast and a 72 hour fast. And that tends to push them beyond the, um, that, that stall starts getting their body to burn fat again. Uh, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing, but, um, yeah, it's frustrating too, especially on the, in the front lines. Uh, I'd say the big thing, the big thing from my standpoint, and I come home wearing it on my sleeve all the time is the, getting the motivation for people to change. You know, I can get anyone that will come to one of my classes or come as a patient one-on-one and say, I want to change. I want to lose weight, but it's still, it's still the very, very few that will actually stick with it and, and actually have results. And it's, it's so frustrating. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would imagine, especially for you as a clinician, that, that it is. Although one point that I, I tried to make in Fathead, um, Jacob uh, Sullum from Reason Magazine talked mm-hmm. about this. You know, different people have different values. Right. And for some people, it's health. And for some people, it's all about pleasure. Yeah. So for people who say, I don't care about health, I don't care if I am going to die of a heart attack when I'm 65, uh, I want to live large, and for me, that means enjoying all the good food that I or tasty food that I want. If a person chooses to make that decision, as far as I'm concerned, it's their life. That's true. The, the that... people that I feel sorry for are the people who went through what I went through, and I'm pretty sure I heard you say you went through, where you are trying to lose weight and you are making sacrifices. You're not eating the food you would necessarily like to eat, sure. and yet you're not losing weight anyway. Mm-hmm. That's what you know. My most of my adult life up until I made Fathead was like. I would go on these low-fat, calorie-restricted diets. They weren't enjoyable. I would be miserable half the time, and then I didn't even get the satisfaction of losing the weight. So the reason I made Fathead, the reason I made Fathead Kids is to talk to the people who do want to lose weight and are willing to make a change. I at least want them to get results. Right. Uh, Where I take it personally, I guess, is I'm seeing just over the last, gosh, I've been in medicine now 10 years, 
over the last 10 years, I've seen the obesity and, and you had mentioned this in, in your, in fathead, not fathead kids, but, um, that to me, it is an epidemic because I'll see individuals come into my clinic who aren't overweight and aren't obese. And that rings a bell. Like that stands out on their chart. I'll say, Oh my gosh, this person's normal weight. They're not on 10, 10, um, uh, medicines at this time. Right. And, and most of those people, sure, they, they'll make it to in their fifties and sixties, but their disability is what's killing us. You know, right. someone's paying for those medications. Someone's paying for that physical therapy. Someone's paying for those long-term care facilities when people stroke out. And it's, it's, and, and I agree. Yes. It's got to be their decision. It's got to be their, their values. But it also, I feel as a provider that it is my duty to try to, <laughs> Uh, I don't want to say nudge people into that direction, but it's, 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 it's near impossible. It's near impossible to put the thought in someone's head. And, and I guess it has to, it has to resonate with them because if it doesn't, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. So I don't know, but that, that's going to segue into my next question or I guess next topic. So maybe the answer is changing the paradigm, changing the way we raise our kids. And uh, tell me about Fathead Kids, where that that came about. Well, that came about because after Fathead went out to Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and started to really draw a large audience, I kept getting emails from parents telling me that it changed their, their kids' dietary habits. I would get emails saying, oh, my son loves this. He watched it six times. I kept hearing that over and over. Kids were not only watching it, they were watching it multiple times. Mm -hmm. And which I guess is kind of what kids do these days. Yeah. Um, And I was not able to convince him to get off the sugar and the white flour, but you did. Thank you so much. He's so much healthier now, or they've lost weight. They're in a better mood. So after discussing that with my wife, um, we decided, you know, maybe the next project should be something kind of designed more specifically for kids. So that ended up leading to us making, uh, well, I was going to say making the film, but we always intended to do a book first and a film second. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did the book and I I, uh, was the writer. My wife's my illustrator. And right away, I mean, as soon as the book was done, we, we started turning around and, and working on the film version because it's hugely important to me that we have something that kids can relate to. And again, there are going to be the kids out there. I don't care. I want my Pop-Tarts and I want my Coca-Cola. Okay. But I know because I was a kid who started getting fat at around age 13 and started developing the boy boobs and went through a lot of body shame. I know if someone had told me, these are the foods that are making you fat. This is why this is happening. And this is what you can eat instead. So that won't happen. I absolutely, I can promise you would have followed that advice. In fact, I tried dieting as a teenager, Mm -hmm. except of course it was the low fat, low calorie diet, you know, and it, it, it didn't work. So for the kids who are open to being healthier and keeping their weight down and just generally feeling better, I wanted to have something out there that they could relate to because I read all these health books. You read a lot of health books. There are many, many, many great ones out there. There aren't really very many for kids. Mm-mm, no. No, they have to get it from their parents who were raised by the generation that thought, you know, frosted flakes and orange juice were how you start your morning. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or in my case, grape nuts with skim milk, because boy, that's healthy stuff. Oh, right. right. That's right. Uh, 
Yeah, no, we used to, ooh, I can't even, when I look back at my childhood, I, ugh, the garbage that we used to eat. I mean, we used to go up yeah. to the store and just, you know, I, I make it sound like I was brought up in 1950, but I mean, it was the 80s, but we'd go up there to the candy section with quarters and you get all your junk and then carry it back down to the fort and just chow on that stuff. It was terrible. But we didn't well, know. We I, had no idea. No, and I'm I'm older than you are. Um, how old are you? 40-something? 40 42, yeah. 42. All right. Well, I just turned 60, so I'm not quite a generation ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. But I I actually remember when the food did shift because when I was a kid, my mom would make bacon and eggs, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yes, we had cereal too, and you know it used to be easy to have the bowl of Cap'n Crunch, but we had a lot of bacon and eggs, and she would almost always make stuff like that on the weekends. But my dad had high cholesterol, and then the whole, you got to get cholesterol down, stop eating bacon, uh, stop eating eggs, no more sausage, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember that shift. I remember when we started eating, and you know, I shudder to think now, egg beaters instead yeah. of eggs. Yeah. I remember us getting turkey, uh, ham, and then then it was soy. Actually, we had soy protein ham for a while. Eesh. And I remember my mom trying to do the right thing, getting away from the foods, you know, well, basically getting away from animal foods, things with saturated fat and cholesterol in them. I remember when she started buying the big bottle of corn oil to fry things uh, in instead yeah. of lard. So I was, you know, because I'm older than you, I, I was kind of aware of that shift happening. And uh, of course, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And we look back years later and just think, oh, my God, what were we thinking? We're so silly as humans to think that we're smarter than nature, you know? Yeah. That yeah. Uh, it all really started back with um, Eisenhower. Eisenhower having his heart attack. Right. It, it freaked everybody out. So we said, oh, we're going to step in and we'll fix the problem. Right. And, that, and that's kind of what I alluded to at the beginning is the answer is so simple. It's so simple. But we have made it so com- complex. I mean, food pyramids. I mean, there's nutritionists out there that I still have patients that come in and, you know, they'll, they'll keep a food journal. Great. Okay, let me take a look at it. And, and it's like low-fat cottage cheese with Yoplait yogurt. And, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, who who told you to eat this? Oh, my, my nutritionist. Uh, wheat toast with margarine. And it's like, God, you're worried about having a heart attack. This is what's setting you up for that. Are, are you familiar with uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb? Uh, I don't know. Uh, not okay. off the, the the name doesn't. Uh, All right, he's written several wonderful books. Uh, I think my favorite so far is called Anti Fragile. Okay. Uh, but he talks about what creates fragile systems, systems that break, as opposed to systems that get stronger or improve under stress. The human body is an anti fragile system, and he explains what causes us to create fragile systems. One of which, one factor, is what he calls neomania which is falling in love with things because they're new or they seem technologically advanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he mentions, and I'm, I'm probably butchering the chapter where he said this because it's a, it's a wonderful book and uh, I, I'm not sure I can quite do it justice, but he mentions specifically, you know, we get caught up in the idea of science has all the answers and mentions that uh, scientists thought they could create better fats than nature could. Yeah. Oops. And yeah. And, you know, it was all exciting. Like, oh, we've taken the bad stuff out of fat. Now it's healthy and it's margarine. And he points out that nature has conducted billions of, ex- of experiments over billions of years and has come up with the best answers. 
and that what humans come up with compared to what nature comes up with, uh, it's usually not a good choice. And, you know, when I was reading that chapter in Anti-Fragile, uh, and of course, this was years after I made Fathead, I was thinking, he nailed it. That's exactly what we did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the easiest things you can do is just look at a majestic wolf, right? Taking down an elk. Right. And then look at an overweight Yorkie poo. <laughs> right, right. We yeah. did the Yorkie poo. <laughs> right. And uh, the wolf is being what? Or same thing. Have you ever seen the documentary Blackfish? No. Oh, it'll it'll blow your mind. If you're an animal lover, it's a tough it's a tough thing to watch. But it's all about uh, Sea World and what they do with um, dolphins. And the big thing is about this orca that ends up killing a bunch of trainers. And they compare the orca that's in this fake setting, you know, this um, pool where it doesn't, it can't swim and it can't hunt and it can't do what orcas do and all the physical changes that happen to it. And we're the same way. I mean, right. my people that I, that I work with, they're sitting at their desks all day. They're under artificial light all day. They're right. hunching. They're, they get home. They're out of breath. They're laying on the couch. They're watching TV. That's not what humans are meant to do. No, and that's one of the reasons that uh, my wife and I eventually, and when, so we lived in LA when we made Fathead, then we moved to Tennessee. And after we were here for a couple of years, we decided we wanted to, to buy land. So we live now on a six acre property. We have chickens and big gardens and I have my own disc golf course that I built on the land. Very jealous. And, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful lifestyle because yes, I am sitting indoors in artificial life light when I'm doing the programming, mm -hmm. but I make sure I get out there on weekends as much as I can and play some disc golf or we do farm projects. We're building a fence right now around part of the property, just getting out, being in the light, doing physical labor mm -hmm. on the land. And of course, uh, more of what we eat comes out of our own gardens now and we eat eggs from the chickens. And I feel like we're, we're not, you know, certainly not back to uh, hunter-gatherer times, but we've pushed ourselves somewhat in that direction, and I am absolutely feeling the benefits. Exactly. Well, uh, people will come to me also about exercise. What should I do for exercise? I want to do CrossFit. And, and I tell them, okay, I mean, if you want to do it, you want to enjoy it, by all means, go do CrossFit. That's fine. My thing is just move, you know, get yeah. on the floor and play with your kids. Start there. Start with just getting on the floor. And I don't know if you do yoga or anything like that, but it's saved. Yoga has saved me multiple surgeries on my shoulders and back and neck. Uh, it's fantastic. But just just try it. Try doing a down dog. And if you can't do it tomorrow, try it again. And if you can't do it, that's what movement's about. That's what being a human's about. Right. Yes, exactly. Walking barefoot, going outside, getting getting your vitamin D from the source. And eating food that is recognizable as food. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I the one thing that that I get really passionate about when I talk to my patients, uh, especially if you know, we'll talk about what they have for lunch, and they'll have a a Twinkie or something. And I say, do you know when you open up that package, you are the first human being to touch that. That food went through a computer. Right, it went through a, a, a computer. I, I assume that they're computer operated now. So it, the ingredients were pre-programmed, went into a machine. The machine packaged it, went into a box. Oh, and by the way, a scientist sat there and came up with just the right amount of fat and sugar and salt to get it to the point where you can't resist it, and now you're eating it. Versus right. versus your grandmother. I always use this this uh, thing too because people say, "Well, I can't eat sugar again." I say, "No." When your grant, grant, when your great aunt Mildred turns ninety-five and she has her, 
her famous banana pudding, by all means, eat the banana pudding, right? Because someone right. made it. That's made with love, even though it might have, you know, junk in it. But the whole idea there is it's a celebration versus just some idiot who's, and, and I don't mean, I mean, I'm a, I'm a staunch capitalist, so I don't mean it that way, but somebody who's trying to make uh, money off of your addiction to something that's not even food. It's not food. Yeah, you can eat it and you'll poop it out eventually, but it's not food. <laughs> well, and I'm a staunch capitalist as well. Which is why I think as as more and more people kind of uh, figure out what good food is and isn't, the the market's going to change. I mean, the uh, they they can't sell the Twinkies if we don't buy them. You're right. And I I think I've heard you mention this before. My wife and I have absolutely noticed this. You can find some seriously high quality food now at Kroger, mm-hmm. at Walmart. Yeah. You can find grass fed beef. You can find riced cauliflower so you don't you know if you don't want to starch up with rice and you know rice is fine for some people it's not for me mm-hmm. uh we are finding now potato chips that were cooked in avocado oil instead of soybean oil we've there's uh, potato chips cooked in coconut oil so i mean as far as i'm concerned the the market is actually ahead of where the supposed experts are because they're listening to what consumers demand and more and more people are demanding food that actually looks like food right and that has uh three ingredients instead of what looks like the the listings for a a chemistry equation on the back people vote with their wallets and it it makes me proud when i go and i find grass-fed butter in walmart i'm like this is great or grass-fed yes yes exactly and i i just keep seeing more and more of that kroger came out with that whole brand called simple truth Mm mm-hmm uh, which is minimal ingredients, uh, for the most part, real foods. Well, obviously, they're responding to uh, demands of the market there. So I'm mm. actually optimistic about it. We got a long way to go, but I, I think way. the change is coming. Do you think uh, that there is a nefarious side to this as well? And I'll explain that. It dawned on me. Now, I remember four years ago, five years ago, I was practicing medicine in lockstep with the way I was supposed to practice medicine, you know, okay, you have what we call dyslipidemia, you have cholesterol issues, here's a pill for it. Oh, you, your blood sugar is a little higher, here's a pill for that. Oh, your, your um, blood pressure is high, here's a pill for that. Oh, you have psoriasis, here's a pill for that. Then about, oh, this is one of those moments where bells started going off in my head, I think it was called JNC8, um, where all the big heart doctors and family physicians and all these, actually, I think they're all cardiovascular, get together and say, what are going to be the new recommendations that we will basically require the entire uh, nation of doctors to treat their patients about, say, cholesterol? And then they come up with a, a basic parameter. And what they essentially did is increase the amount of people that would have to be on a statin medicine, which is one that lowers cholesterol, by mm-hmm. like 30 million people. And then the doctors who are on the board have ties with the cholesterol companies. And when I saw that, I'm like, this, that, that just doesn't sit well to this day. It doesn't sit well, whether they like, whether the doctors are, you know, uh, good people and this isn't a nefarious thing, but still there's gotta be a, a subconscious bias when you're working for the companies that you are now putting money in their wallet by telling doctors to put more people on those medicines. I mean, it, it just doesn't resonate. It does. It doesn't ring well with me. No, well, it, and it it shouldn't. I remember when they came out with those new guidelines. I think if you were over fifty, you know, the odds were like eighty percent they were going to say you need to be on a statin. Mm-hmm. 
Um, no, that stuff's crazy. And of course it's money driven. And I can't crawl into the mind of the heads of those doctors. My guess is they think that they're good people doing good things. Uh, there was a wonderful book called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me about how we justify our decisions. And once you kind of start down that path, you know, maybe it starts with a, a company provides you with some money for some research and you decide, ah, oh, these results aren't quite what we wanted. But if I tweak this variable here and that one there, now it looks pretty good. And I'm just doing this because I really want to help people and we need a positive study. Uh, once you kind of go down that path, it's easier to take the next step and then the next step and then the next step. Uh, the book explains that you can't get a person to go from good to evil in one jump, but you can get them to go from good to evil one little baby step at a time. Each little step feels like not much more than the one before. So I, I don't want to call these doctors evil, but I suspect a lot of them have gone much farther down that path of basically doing what the drug companies want them to do than they ever intended. Mm -hmm. And my guess is if you sat down and you stuck them up to a polygraph, you would find that they honestly believe that what they're doing is justified and good. Uh, so what do we do about that? Well, that's why you and I do this and all the other podcasters and bloggers and authors and filmmakers are doing what we're doing because the answer to that is, is information. Yeah. Uh, more and more people now are are actually going off statins. In fact, I've seen articles that the medical community is kind of panicking, like, oh, my gosh, more and more people are giving up their statins. What's wrong? Well, what's wrong, if you want to call it that, is that they can go out on the Internet now and they can uh, do their own research mm -hmm. and they can hear from people like Malcolm Kendrick and just one of many doctors pointing out the problems with statins, and they will make their own decisions. And here's a perfect example. My mom was on a statin, and she had muscle and joint pains, mm -hmm. which her doctor, of course, did not attribute to the statin. I finally said, when she was complaining, and of course, then she was on a painkiller. And I said, you know, when she's telling me about this, I said, Mom, are you on a statin? Yeah. I said, why? Well, my cholesterol's 220. I said, first off, that's perfectly fine cholesterol for a woman cholesterol level for a woman. And second, the statins are what are giving you the muscle and joint pains. Well, mm -hmm. she didn't know that. Yeah. So she's off of them now. Well, these days when people are getting muscle and joint pains and they're going to go online and they're going to see things like statins will cause that. And by the way, they seem to cause cognitive problems for people, oh, like yeah. liver damage and it's et cetera, et cetera. Diabetes. They cause diabetes. diabetes yeah. Right. Um, so I, I, Yes, what's going on with them constantly lowering the deadlines to the point where if you have a pulse, they, they'll tell you you should be on a statin. Yes, that worries me. On the other hand, I'm, I'm a big believer that the wisdom of crowds effect is, is working and continuing to work and that people will find out that, uh, no, that's not a good idea. And they'll do research for themselves and, uh, and they'll do what a lot of people are doing. They'll make, their, make up their own minds. Uh, consumer medicine is also big meaning like i can go on to I'm trying to think of the name of a, a good lab uh wellness effects that's a good one um it's just no you know i don't have any correlation with them or anything but it's uh wellness just letter fx and you can order whatever panel you want you know right. you can go in there and say i want a cholesterol panel and a testosterone panel and whatever and get those numbers and look at them because if you go to your doctor and you say because i've written this down for my patients because i'm not their primary care it's I, my clinic's kind of uh interesting little setup but 
uh, I'll say, I want you to go to your primary and ask for these numbers because you tell me my cholesterol was high. What does that mean? What does that mean? Right. Even if I ask right. your doctor, what does that mean? He'll say, well, and by the standards, you should be on a cholesterol medicine. No, cholesterol is way more complicated than that. So much more. There's a great book out there called Deep Nutrition. Um, if you haven't read it, oof, it's fantastic. She was on, uh, I'm trying to think of her name. Gosh, I can see her face. Dr. Uh, it's like McDill. No, Mc... That's going to bug me. I got to pull that one up. But um, she gets into in very in-depth at a very user-friendly level about cholesterol and, and uh, you know, how our body metabolizes it and when it's an issue. Hold on. It was, you might have even heard of her before. Doctor. Of course, the title comes up, but not the, um, the author's name. It is... Catherine Shanahan, Dr. Catherine Shanahan. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Fant I have heard of her. Fantastic right. book. Um, I try to get my patients to read it, but it's a thick one. So <laughs> if anything, I can just tell them what's in it, you know, uh, because I think another big one that people aren't realizing today is the the fake oils, the industrial oils, the canola oil, the vegetable oil, the um, basically yellow stuff that can sit on a shelf in a plastic bottle for five years is touted as something healthy for you. And as far as I'm concerned, it's it's as deadly as smoking cigarettes. I mean, you can put it maybe just a head of sugar and um, maybe below uh, processed carbohydrates, but it's it's well. Nasty I, stuff. I agree with you. On on the other hand, this is another one of those areas where I'm I'm seeing a very positive change. Yeah. Because uh, I've, of course, you know, I'm constantly kind of reading articles and keeping track of what's going on in the nutrition world. And far more people now are switching back to natural fats. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there was a butter shortage in France, of all places, um, because so many people were switching back to butter. Uh, New Zealand, uh, it's, they've actually changed uh, which kind of cows the farmers are ordering because people no longer want the fat-free or low-fat products. Wow. Uh, um, butter has, uh, sales of butter have gone way up. Sales of full-fat dairy are way up. Sales of low-fat dairy or skim are going way down. So, you know, they can uh, preach to us about avoiding the dairy fats and switching to the vegetable oils all they want. But again, I'm seeing more and more people rejecting that advice. Yeah, that's great. It's music to my ears. So when, um, when will people be able to see uh, Fathead Kids? Fathead Kids is already available on Blu-ray and DVD. Okay. It is available on uh, as an on-demand selection on a lot of the cable systems around the country it's available on itunes uh, amazon prime basically anywhere you would go to buy or rent uh, a film it's uh, available now okay and then some months from now it'll eventually go to netflix and etc etc i think it's it's the perfect i don't know if kids do this anymore it's the perfect um uh, where the science teacher puts a video on in front of the the class because it's it's keeps your you entertained. It simplifies it. It simplifies it even for adults though, which I think is great. You know, it's it it is more sciency if that's the word from from your original flick. But the the whole um, using a, a spaceship and the different you know just all these metaphors work. They work perfectly. You did a great job with that. Well, thank you. And one of the nice compliments I've heard from several adults now, both about the book and the film, uh, is, well, 
thank goodness you decided to explain this to kids because I really get it now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know what, from the from the user standpoint, meaning from being in the trenches with patients, sometimes you get so deep into the science that you forget that they're not on the same page as you. I, I'll never forget this, this conversation I had with a guy, and I said, the only thing we're going to work on this week, the only thing, is no Mountain Dew. That's it. I just want you to cut, cut out your Mountain Dew. I'll see you next week. Comes back next week. How'd you do? I didn't drink any Mountain Dew. I'm like, that's great. That's great. How'd you do it? How'd you get by? Coca-Cola. Oh, my I God. I said, well, okay. <laughs> I see what you're getting at there. <laughs> but that's that's just the way it is. Oh, goodness. That's like switching from Marlboro's to Kent's. That's right. That's uh, right. Um, well, another thing we, we really tried to do with the book and the film. Well, and you've, you know, you've seen Fathead. You know, I like to put a lot of humor in there. And again, we wanted to do the same thing in, in the film. I mean, yes, there's a lot of there's sciencey stuff. We keep it all very cartoony, very fun. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of humor in there, kind of little, I wouldn't say parodies, little homages to Star Trek and yep. Star Wars. I, I'm a big believer in it's great to make something where you teach somebody, but if you don't keep them entertained, they're going to shut it off. Right, so, right. Uh, you know, we tried to keep it simple and fun. And from the feedback we're we're getting, that's uh, that seems to be exactly how people are, are looking at it. Yeah. And uh, what's what's your website people can go to? Fathead-movie.com. Okay. And there's another one that's for the book and film. It's This is all one word, fatheadkidsbook.com, where they can watch the trailer and see what the book and the film are all about. Excellent. Well, I appreciate it both as a person in the trenches um, trying to fight this battle because uh, death and disability, death is almost the easier way. Disability is what mm-hmm. what's terrible. Um, I mean, death is too, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Right. And and as a podcaster, because uh, this is a really cool way to get information out there. Um, you know, we reach seven, eight, sometimes 10,000 if the episode's good uh, downloads, which is great, but those are people that would otherwise maybe not hear about this. And it's only because folks like you take your time to talk to folks like me and... Um, from this point of view, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I, I appreciate you having me on. Excellent. Well, um, that's really all the questions I have. I've taken over an hour of your time, so um, I thank you again, and um, I'll, I'll be in touch and let you know when this uh, episode will go up. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Like us on facebook.com slash WWI podcast and at WWI podcast on Twitter. Drop us a line at waitswhatifpodcast at yahoo.com. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Internet Radio.
enjoyed your listening experience. Now go forth and expand your reality.